Welcome to our very first podcast of books that make us better. My name is Kayla Joe. I'm Megan. I'm Lydia. And I'm Jesse. So we want to get things started. We have chosen the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Let's just kind of start with the fact that this book, Lydia originally posted on Facebook. We are all kind of on a a group page together. So Lydia started this. Lydia, can you tell me what originally made you want to choose this book? Well, I got this book in a book of the month club and I had a friend who told me how great it was. So I read it and fell in love with so many parts of it. And I was taking screenshots and I was sending them to my friends. I was posting it to my Facebook and just ranting and raving about this book because so much of what she says resonated with me, even though there are aspects of her life that I don't relate to. She just, to me, captures so much of what women go through internally and aren't able to just express and she does it so beautifully so i loved it yeah uh so you originally posted it and then i saw megan and then i'm like well these are some cool chicks and the cover's really pretty so like i think i could get done with that and then oddly weeks later um i was hanging out with jesse insert jesse and uh we all of a sudden just somehow came up with this uh, virtual book club idea and here we are yeah, I mean, Kayla Joe pretty much drug us all in. Yeah. But willingly. Yeah, you guys didn't really put up that much of a fight. There was no fighting. No, I was in. I'm excited to have people I can talk about this book with because my husband listens, but I mean... Like, unenthusiastically? Yeah, he's like, oh, cool, I know you love books, Lydia. That's great. <laughs> no, listen! We believe the power to change lives is within ourselves. We believe with the right attitude, anything can be accomplished. We believe the amount of knowledge and insight available is limitless. But we don't think life should be taken too seriously. Books that make us better. An Alpha Media Podcast. Let's dive into it. So we are going to get started with the prologue, and then we're going to kind of briefly sum up what each chapter is, and then uh, maybe some parts that stuck out to us. And we can just, you know, do the things chicks do. Let's dialogue about it. Here we go. So the prologue of this book is called Cheetah. And first of all, I am one of those people, I don't know about how you guys are, but if the book does not hook me like within the first two or three pages, no dice. I There's no way I can keep reading it. There's no way I can stay engaged with the book. And the way this book starts out, Glennon Doyle is on a trip with her family at the zoo. So they go to this cheetah exhibit. They call it the resident cheetah named Tabitha, who is best friends with a dog. And the zookeeper essentially says, we're going to let this rabbit out. She's going to chase this rabbit down. And it's going to be this big show for all of these kids. So the zookeeper ends up sliding open the door. The bunny takes off. Of course, it's a stuffed bunny. Tabitha bolts out. And essentially, it's all kind of unenthusiastic. Like Glennon says, day after day, this wild animal chases dirty pink bunnies down the well-worn narrow path they cleared for her, never looking left or right, never catching the damn bunny, settling instead for a store-bought steak and the distracted approval of sweaty strangers. Obeying the zookeeper's every command, just like Minnie the Lab, she's been trained to believe she is, unaware that if she remembered her wildness just for a second, she could tear those zookeepers to shreds. And I feel like the way she kind of put all of this together is that we do the same things. Like, we get up every day, we go to work, we do all of the things that we are supposed to do because society says that we're 
supposed to do it. And we never really realized that if we remember how great we are, we would maybe not do it that way. We do affirmations with our kids in the mornings on the way to school. And I normally take my daughter. And after reading this book, I added as an affirmation, I am a G-dang cheetah. And Elise doesn't swear, at least that I know of. And so <laughs> one of our lines is, I am a G-dang cheetah. And because I read this and it like gave me goosebumps. Like, absolutely. I want myself and women and my daughters to know just how unstoppable we are. Um, yeah, reading that and like thinking about my own, yeah, my daughter and then son. And I'm like, I mean, thinking more for Cora, like, yeah, like embrace that. And I think like sometimes I think I give my mom kind of a hard rap in my head, but like she really did force that into me hard, like embrace you and like, you know, middle school happens and whatever. And you really like kids really try to break you down. And that's because that's what they're taught. That's what our society looks like. But like, I think that's the one thing that I feel really grateful that my mom was always like, don't, you don't have to be like everybody else. Just be you. That's like the one thing that stuck in my head. And so now I'm like, Ugh, hope that sticks with all my kids. <laughs> but it almost goes deeper than that, right? Because it's not just school, like it's society in it's general. Everything. Yeah. I mean, it's it's for us too. I mean, we need that affirmation every morning. I mean, she goes into it so deep. Am I getting fit today? Am I going to go for a run today because it makes me feel good? Or am I going to go for a run today because society tells me I need to be this size? Why am I doing it? Like you constantly have to tell yourself, like, am I doing this for me or who am I doing this for? I think that's a fair point. Sparks. So like, the yeah, the first one is called Sparks. Just to summarize that one, it was essentially when Glennon, I mean, she, it seems like she's totally, she's at that point where she like, embraced herself she has fully embraced who she is she and which is gay and that's that's who she is and she's finally like hey society like i'm gonna be who i want to be we're finally into the stage where she's fully embraced herself and like for me the part that resonated most was like when her mom said that i haven't seen her like this since she was 10 i was like oh my gosh like that's crazy she lived her whole life like not having this like fire behind her eyes because you know she put herself in a box, put herself in a box, in this tiny little box, she said. And then she went on to say that 10, the age of 10 is when a lot of kids actually internalize all that stuff that you know, society tells you, like that's when they internalize it. And that, I mean, that for me really hit because I, you know, I think mothering, but like, yeah, also like you reflect on yourself and on that time and like, yeah, that was a super awkward time. And that's exactly when you're like, oh, is this weird? Oh, is that weird? Should I act like that? Should I say that? Should I wear this? Blech. Totally. Like that's exactly when it was. So I really would like to get Jesse's opinion on that because Jesse is a teacher. And... I was just going to say that I, I see these struggles and these inner conflicts with uh, students every day, both male and female. And sometimes um, it's hard to it's hard to watch because you no matter what you do, no matter how you try to you know affirm them and no matter how many times you try to say, you know, you can be whoever you want to be and you have the strength and the courage and they just always feel this need to assimilate to those around them or the, their peers or who they think is cool or sometimes I feel like you know when your parents used to say you know it's not always going to be like this or it, you I don't know I, I just feel like my mom sometimes and then they just look and be like oh whatever Miss Palmer you're just old yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know I do see it on a daily basis for sure there was actually a part that I thought was really interesting because I think she really did a great job at laying out a lot of the things that are 
are structured. So some of the things she brings up are, these are the feelings you're allowed to express. This Mm. is how a woman should act. This is the body you must strive for. These are the things you will believe. These are the people you can love. These are the people you should fear. This is the kind of life you are supposed to want. And she really wrapped it all together of, well, you'll be uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Eventually you'll forget you're caged. Soon this will just feel like life. And I think that's really interesting because I think there's a lot of people um, that don't ever reach outside of that. Absolutely. And it's so lame to think, though, that we I like that I should feel lucky that I don't feel caged in a box often. I mean, obviously, there's certain situations where we are put into a box in society and it's not like it's something we can change and we can try and bucket as much as you want. And sometimes it just doesn't change. And that really blows. I feel lucky that it, like. I have a family that forced me to, you know, not be in the box. Um, And despite their best efforts for me to be conservative or something, you know, I didn't go that way, you know? And like, I think that's, I think that's like the bigger question is like, how do you convey that to somebody? How do you convey that to young people or even people that are our age, like that you don't have to be like that. If this is not you, you don't have to do that. Like without those words, like, how do you say like, it could be better. Well, and I think you have to make the conscious decision, especially as an adult. You have to decide you want more for yourself because I think there's so many people that just get hung up in the day-to-day. This is just what we do and how it goes. And which actually honestly leads us to the next chapter, which is called Apples, which kind of focuses on religion, which I think is really interesting. Yes. So Glennon talks about When she's 10 years old, she's in a class at her church and the teacher is talking about the origin of humans and says, God made Adam, gave him the power to rule over everything. Uh, But then Adam gets lonely. And this teacher actually says that God helped Adam give birth to Eve. And that's why she's called a woman, because she came from the womb of a man which Glennon questions and says, but I thought people come from women's bodies. And the teacher shuts her down and she's there. And then Eve basically tricks Adam into eating this apple and therefore ruining it all. And this paradise that they had no longer exists because of Eve. And that Eve's big sin was that she wanted more. She thought there was more for her to know, more for her to see, and that that's what's wrong kind of with people. Like we feel like we deserve more instead of being grateful for what we have or that we should be doing more. And she ends this chapter, I guess, with saying, you know, I had no further questions. This chapter really bugs me. Like this woman that's teaching this class just did these kids such a disservice. And I get frustrated because I I have my own strong core beliefs when it comes to God and Jesus. And I'm a Christian. That's, you know, that's what I tell people if, if I'm ever asked. And I feel like things like this kind of, it ruins it for people. That's so frustrating to me because that's not what Christianity is about to me. And, and so to try to put women in the spot where it's our fault that the world is not perfect really rubs me the wrong way. I feel like there is so much to unpack. Let's but do like, it. This for me was just another, so I'm the opposite of you, Lydia. I'm, yeah. I would, I think I would identify as more of an atheist, but I feel like when I read that, I was like, here's just another example of 
like where in our society we indoctrinate the girls to think that they are lesser and that the men are greater. Yes. It was just another example for me. And like, I mean, I don't have anything against it because people who do practice their faith and I mean that practice it according to like what I understood for Christians because I don't understand a lot of other religions. So I'm not going to like go into that, but like the people who do it, a service are great people. But the, this woman, oh, I was like, man, there's a lot of people who probably would be just fine being Christians, but yes. that's going to wreck it for everybody. Children will internalize that kind of a message. And yeah. that's what drives me crazy is what adults are telling kids. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. And that's what's really interesting also to me about this chapter in general is that, so I also, like Lydia, would identify myself as a Christian. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But I also don't necessarily believe that Christ's love for us is dependent on the things we do and the things that we don't do. I I don't believe we have to earn our salvation. Furthermore, I don't believe that men are of any higher value than women. I think that we're totally equal. But there is a lot of conditioning. Like there's a lot of conditioning when it comes to religion because there are so many rules and there's so many things that you should do and so many things that you shouldn't do. So yeah, this chapter was really interesting to me because not only did I believe the things that she was saying was just not even true, but again, it's the indoctrination and making kids believe that one gender is more important than the other gender and it all just is kind of frustrating. And that is my piece on that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Which leads us to the next chapter. You want to call it Felicio? Yeah. <laughs> you could call it well, a blowing. The thing about it is, the thing about it is, the chapter is not even really about that. No, no. You know, when you actually get into her story, it, it was advice given to her by her therapist. And so it's not, as soon as I turned the page and saw that as the title, I was like, oh, God, where are we going with this? Like, I was a little like, I don't know what this book is actually about. Like, what did these people get me into? Okay, but um, then also when I was going through all the chapters, figuring out who would talk about what, and I saw that blowjobs landed on you, I, I personally feel like was that's, thrilled. I also... <laughs> me too, because I... I didn't so want to say like, blowjobs. I and so far I'm the only one that hasn't said it. So I'm excited that you it. were all re- on recording <laughs> having to say it. So she can splice Ending. it and then I actually never said it. <laughs> yeah. Listen, we're all gonna dive into this ocean of blowies together, okay? Blowjobs. <laughs> In this section, the therapist um kind of asserts herself into uh, saying that Glennon, like what she's feeling and what she's going through is not real or it's fake and that it's, um, you know, something that is, she needs to just disregard. And I think that is just such a reflection of, you know, society and norms and stereotypes and things that are just projected onto people and, and a lot of times women in general. Because essentially she she didn't want to do the love making Sex. I, Yes. Was that Megan? Yes. Perfect. It was. That's me. Okay. So then that was uh, essentially the advice from the therapist, right? Like, hey, if you don't want to do it, here's another option. Then try another. Yeah. And so, and I think it kind of, it's still just tying into those first couple of chapters where Glennon's really going through that. You know, I, I've spent my life 
you know, uh, writing and, and talk and I, my books are about like my, you know, my life and, and things that have happened and that, you know, my the turnaround of my family. And now I'm realizing that like, I don't want that. That's not what I wanted. I just felt like I had to do it. Dump that right. therapist. Yes. She's being so well, wrong. I love that. At least she, she acknowledges that too. Like I, I, I don't need her. She didn't th- think differently because of the advice. Other than like, okay, this lady doesn't really know what she's doing. I'm feeling very grateful for having a good therapist. Like I'm feeling Same. when I was reading this, I'm like, I got good things in my life. Yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> because I have gone to therapy and that's just not how that should go. No. <laughs> No, just the actual opposite. Yes, you are unloading this weight that you've been carrying around. And the person is like, eh, it's not real. Sorry, it's the face. Yeah, and, and then also, have you tried blowjobs? You just expressed to me, like, that you want, you like women. And a part of, I mean, I'm not a lesbian, but I assume, you know, that part of that is the omission of penises in your life. You would think. But, hey, would you think about maybe putting it in your mouth instead? Like, what? <laughs> I feel like that would be absolutely awful for a person. That does not feel dissociative to me. Like, I would not be able to separate myself. That would be worse. That is, to me, worse. No. I would have to sign up for another 10 sessions. So she actually would have completely hooked me. Because I'd be like, I am so damaged from that advice. I might need some more. (laughs) Please offer me more toxic things. Please, yes. Please me some more with your horrible mental health therapy. (laughs) Well, whoever she is, I hope she's um, gone. I mean, I hope she's I hope she's doing fine in her life, but I hope that she's chosen a different career path because maybe somebody forced her into the therapy box. I 100 percent hope that this person read this chapter, is aware of this and is really looking at herself and wondering what the hell happened to me. So I agree with that, but I would also like to just mention the fact that Megan brought up um, forcing things into boxes. And I just um, I felt like that was really ironic timing. Full circle. We came full circle there. All right. So the next chapter um, is called Directions. This one is super short and really interesting. So what Glennon's talking about here is her kids uh, in the shower. Now there's like so many different bottles of shampoos and conditioners and body washes in the shower. So when it comes to the boys, you're talking the advertisements on the bottles here. They're shaped differently. They're bulky. They're rectangular. Uh, don't rob, <laughs> doesn't rob you of your dignity. Armor up and man sent. Drop kick dirt, then slam the odor with the folding chair. Okay, so then you take a look at the girls' bottles. Alluring, radiant, gentle, pure, illuminating, enticing, touchable, light, creamy. No verbs. So we have no action here. It's just a list of things to be. And so, like, this is really interesting because... This sums up to me, like, all of the things in life that we don't think of that kind of, like, subconsciously push us into being a specific way. Yeah. There's a million subliminal messages in our society. Yeah. And I've actually talked about this with my daughter, too, um, about, like, the pink tax and all these things that are marketed towards girls and the way that they're marketed. And it's... I'm trying to make her as aware of po- as possible because I I wasn't and yeah I need her to be smarter than me. 
that one I feel like is kind of a short and sweet chapter, but that one's just really one of those things that points out the way you're supposed to be. And then the next chapter, she goes into the ways that we're not supposed to be. And I particularly loved this chapter, uh, Polar Bears. Mm. Yeah. Um, So this one, I kept wondering like where we were going with this until the very end. And I mean, I think she meant it that way, but I thought it was adorable. Um, And also I could relate on a lot of levels when she's talking about how her daughter just like latched onto this one thing. And then they and then they were obsessed with it for weeks. And I was like, yeah, I hear that. Like my daughter, when she laughs on one thing, that is it. We are done talking about anything else for weeks and weeks and weeks. And as like a parent, I, that really resonated with me about like how suddenly you are t- attached to this topic. But I digress. So essentially, this was like coming into like thinking about the polar bears are dying because of essentially what we did. And what it boiled down to was Tish saying, you know, if we don't care about the polar bears, we're next. Who's going to care about us? If we don't care about this one thing, we're not going to care about us. And I thought, ugh, like out of, what did they say out of the mouths of babes, whatever, you know what kids say? Like they were so wise. And I feel like that just comes back to like the directions thing where it's like, they're so wise. And then we just smashed them into pieces and they point out so many things that you're just like oh yeah i didn't think of it that way you know it could be anything but it's not just uh smashing kids into the ground that i had to really figure out how i was gonna word that because that got weird for me for a second (laughs) um but it's about life hardening us and having us forget that the things are important. So one of the things I highlighted because I particularly loved this chapter is where she said, she's talking about Tish and she said, Tish says, what is wrong with us? And she said, finally it hit her. She said, you're, you're not crazy to be heartbroken over the polar bears. The rest of us are crazy not to be. Yes. Because we forget. And, and I think the reason that this just hits home with me is because I'm very into animal rescue and dog rescue and all of these, um, odd animals that just somehow float in and out of my life. I don't know how any of those things happen, but, uh, we do forget because like you're living every day. You've got all this stuff. You've got bills to pay. You've got kids to feed. You've got homework to help get done. And you drive by every single day, this dog that's chained outside and you are so wrapped up in the things that you have that you forget that we have the power to help someone else. Mm -hmm. And granted, when it comes to the polar bears, girlfriend, I don't care how much power you have. You ain't going to rebuild the ice caps. Like (laughs) we don't have that much power, but it's the awareness of what we do affects other people. And we have the power to change those things, which I think is what all of this comes down to is that we have this power that we forget that we have. Yes, I agree. And this chapter hits me because I and throughout the book when she talks about Tish I am Tish and so it just is like every time she talks about her I'm like oh I I get this I'm 36 and it took me 36 years to finally acknowledge that this is how passionate I get and this is how emotional I get and that's just who I am because I care sometimes too freaking much about something and it's also, you know, why therapy is helpful because it lets it taught me skills to direct where I can and whatnot at the times that I can. Like th- this girl has the best mother to guide her through this because it's a hard 
way to live when you care so much about things and when you know you have no control over it, but it keeps you up at night and it makes you cry because someone else, you know, doesn't care that the polar bears are dying. Yeah. Hey, Lydia, out of all of the advice you've gotten from your therapist to work on some of these things and direct emotions, were any of them blowjobs? <laughs> no, <laughs> enough. That was not Weird. No. Yeah. No, I mean, same Good. on, I'm on the, like, I don't think I'm as empathetic as you are. Um, I mean, I feel like I, it has become something that I have grown into Lydia um, and Tish, but like, I totally, I get that. Like, yeah, you feel like super anxious and like how Tish was feeling about the polar bears and like trying to fix it. Like, I get that because like, I don't, I feel like the pandemic really brought that home for me. Uh, that's where I was like, I don't want people to continue to die. And so I will do whatever I can to help them. And, and it just turned into this big, awful thing for me. Like I, yeah, now sleeping and then like not having a, a boundary and my therapist talked me through the whole time and she was like you know make sure that like you're setting boundaries for yourself and like make sure you're not going too far because it you know like it sounds like you're very passionate about this but like rein it in i didn't listen <laughs> sometimes we don't <laughs> uh, yeah i regretted it in the end i had a big old breakdown so i don't know listen to your therapist guys unless you unless tell, me to they give blowjobs. tell you to give blowjobs to your husband when you're gay asterisk i thought about this chapter two a little bit differently obviously being the one the one person without children that but i think about my kids at school and so like the situations with the teacher and you know when when kids get to high school a lot of times i feel like they got to a point where that fire that passion those in, that inquisitiveness that they had at a young age was just kind of drawn out of them because we didn't, you know, foster it and we didn't let them ask questions and notice and wonder and continue to be like, that's, that's what you should do throughout your entire life. And so they get to me at 14, 15, 16 years old, and they're just like, what do you want me to know? Tell me what I need to learn. It shouldn't be that way. And so like, I tried to be very meaningful in how we approach content and, and letting them be inquisitive. What do you notice? What do you wonder? you know, all the time, not just here's a PowerPoint and a lecture, and this is what you're, uh, this is what you're going to learn. It's kind of having them have some ownership in it. And it is, it's crazy for me to watch and think like, God, when did that, when did that go? Where did we go wrong sometimes with how we educate children and youth and when they get older? For sure. I like that. Yeah. Well, and somewhere along the line, beauty becomes important. Um, being attractive to whoever you want to be attractive to becomes important. Having money becomes important, uh, which again is a super interesting segue to the next chapter, um, which is called tick marks. But I also uh, want to mention, she refers to a group of people called the golden ones. And I don't mean to, uh, to point anyone out here, but I think we've got a golden one here in our little group. Jessie. Why did I know this was coming? And when I read this chapter, I was like, this is going to turn into... I knew it was coming. And here we have our very own golden. <laughs> 2004 was a long time ago, guys. <laughs> Were you I, on homecoming court? Uh, Lydia, I was, hate to reveal this queen, this way, she? but I was the queen. Yeah. Oh, so, I mean. I was, I was prom queen. If you, if you want me to bring a copy of the messenger, I think my mom still has it. She's the only one still living there. I bet she does. Uh, I'm trumping you all because I am a queen. Oh, <laughs> hair flip. 
JK, we didn't do queens in my school. We were too small. Well, um, at my school, homecoming was more important than prom, so. Uh -huh. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I would just like to say, y'all still golden to me, babies. Oh, yes. The golden girls. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, someone run down ticks. What's it about? Tick All right, so tick marks. Glennon talks about how, as a senior, um, she is a part of tallying up the votes for homecoming court. And she talks about the golden ones and how everyone knows who they are and how she's kind of on the edge of that group, but not really a part of them. So her name starts coming up on ballots. When no one's looking, she adds two more tally marks to her name, putting her on the court. And then she talks about how for more than a decade, she has kind of held this in and not talked about it because it's something that she she carries and is not proud of. She talks about how she rigged an election trying to be golden, as she calls it, and then looks at other parts of her life. And she says things like, I've held my tongue so hard I tasted blood trying to be gentle. I've spent thousands on potions and poisons trying to be youthful. I have denied myself for decades trying to be pure. And just how, you know, the lengths we go to to try to fit into that box that we believe we should be in. It's a pretty good chapter. <laughs> I'm like, I know this is not about me, but I feel like it's about me. I feel attacked hey, right now. Calm down, Golden. I'm almost <laughs> wondering if we need to launch some kind of internal investigation on the the tallies maybe i you think i rigged the votes i mean i'm not oh, saying you did not I, saying you didn't i just want to rein in the bullying okay uh, girls oh yes. just rein it in Sorry. Gosh, we call this playful banter <laughs> <laughs> i love it um so in algorithms I, again i think this chapter was definitely meant for me to read specifically because everything she said in algorithms like struck with me because She's reflecting on her own kind of issues with being indecisive and not being able to make choices without using kind of that research uh, method for deciding if it's a good decision and polling people. And she's never just like goes with her gut feeling. So it's hysterical, but also super uh, relatable that she would Google what should I do if my husband cheated on me, but it's an amazing dad. Like who Googles that? But then I was like, I've probably Googled weird, very odd things. Like, why don't, why don't you just trust intuition? Yeah, we don't. No. And, and it's like, we have to have the approval of other people to make decisions, no matter how big or how small. Yeah. We need to feel like that, like our opinions are validated in some way or our yeah. feelings are validated in some well, way. And I feel like I pull, and then as, after I read it, like even just the last couple of days, I just realized like I am a poll and researcher all day long. And like, no wonder I'm exhausted because hmm. I'm constantly pulling research, pulling research, what should I, you know, and it, and it can be something totally insignificant. And then it can be things that are potentially life-changing or altering or i feel like i'm the the like a very opposite spectrum where i'm like a decider to the point where i might step on your neck like watch out like it's a little i mean like i'll just be like no this is what we're doing you know like i mean it, i guess it depends on the situation like some situations if i really like if i'm not in control like i'm fine with giving control but like in my own home like I, that is not this is not how things work i'm like this is what we're doing <laughs> <laughs> so Megan's not happening. interested in the court of public opinion. No, I really oh. don't. I could give two shits. I love it. I live there. <laughs> I live in that court. And I, I'm a, I am a recovering people pleaser and perfectionist. So I feel like that mm -hmm. just goes hand in hand with 
when you want to please everyone, you need to pull everyone and you need to research every option. And so when you're so caught up in the thoughts and opinions and feelings of others, you definitely lose yourself. Yeah, you do. And, and when you're pulling people and you're asking them and you're giving so much of what's happening in your life to other people, then you're giving them in their mind the right to like be upset if you don't go the way they want you to or mm -hmm. to tell you how you sh should be living your life. And I learned that, I don't know, like 10 years ago, and I still still struggle with it. And I'm like, nope, this is my choice. I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. No. Yeah, it's definitely like. I'm, I'm gonna, I don't know, have you like seen the reels where they'll be like, someone will say something like, uh, they'll send some like email that's assertive. And then they'll like go to take a drink of something in their hands shaking because they were so scared to do it, yes. but they did it. But like, that is true. So many people are so afraid to just take that step and like, do it. Just say like, this is how it's going to be done. The end. Not a lot of people can do that. I think of even just like businesses in the workplace, like climate and culture is so important for, you know, fostering people that are able to, you know, speak freely. And so when you think of like big institutions that have hierarchies of like, you know, boss and assistant boss, you know what I mean? Like sometimes that, that doesn't exist in, in the workplace. It doesn't exist. in and even like social circles, like mm -hmm. I, you know, that, that fake, kind of, I don't know, structure is there. Yeah. I ain't down with none of that. Well, I'm down with you talking about your section now. Gosh, about <laughs> time. I've been waiting for what felt like three like, hours. You can see the, it. You can the golden has spoken. The golden has spoken. <laughs> We're ready to move on. Um, okay. So boys, Glennon's coming into the room. She asks the kids if they want anything to eat. So every single boy keeps his eye on the TV. It's yes. Like nobody's even, it doesn't matter. Everybody's hungry. The girls, on the other hand, are looking at their friends' faces to decide if they want something to eat. So, like, nobody has an opinion. Everybody's looking at everyone else uh, to decide what they want. So, what Glennon points out is the boys looked inside themselves. The girls looked outside of themselves. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of the exact same thing as Jesse's chapter. Like mm. these two things go hand in hand. They're just two different ways. You know, we're looking at it from an adult's point of view versus looking at it from a teenager's point of view. But the females in both of those situations, regardless of the age, are literally doing the exact same thing. Right. So we've got a common theme here of women who can't just follow their intuition and make the decisions they want to make without without the court of public opinion. We all have to be on the same page. Yeah. Can we, can we talk about going to the, the bar when you were in your early twenties and then you're like, man, I have to go to the bathroom. And then all of a sudden all the women leave the table. Like, why can't we just go to the bathroom? Yeah. Sometimes I want to pee in, in private. I don't need to have a conversation. No, I mean, I'm in my thirties now and I would like to pee in private all the time. Preach. Yeah, same. <laughs> I'd love it if a toddler didn't follow me in. That'd be supremely amazing. <laughs> I didn't hear feet coming towards the door. Yes. Hey, I'm just relieved that Jesse is not complaining about this with high schoolers. That yes. would be awkward. Uh, that would be very awkward. I'm <laughs> glad that also does not happen. <laughs> Laying down the rules. <laughs> nice segue. Thank you. Did you see what I did there? I did. Oh, you want me to go there? I loved this one because it was short and sweet and to the point and 
very relatable. Basically, this is one of Glennon's friends goes to a hot yoga class and is like her first time, a little scared, goes in um, and and gets set up and realizes like it's already freaking hot and they haven't even closed the door yet. And then the instructor comes in and is like, you know, I, I think she probably was trying to be like, give a pep talk and be like, you guys got this, you're strong. But instead it was more like laying this weird ground rules of like, don't leave. Like no matter how you feel, stay in the room. And like, maybe that was meant to be like a pep, but it did not work for Glennon's friend. She did not feel good. She probably should have quit. She should have listened to her body and she did not. And she stayed in there and then promptly barfed at the end. And then uh, this is my favorite part at the end, which she says, what is wrong with me? Why did I stay and suffer? The door wasn't even locked. And like, (laughs) I thought that's a great metaphor, but also quite literally, there are so many situations where the door's not even locked. And what are we doing? Why are we staying in these situations? But like, I mean, I can apply this in my personal life, uh, like a metaphorical door. Uh, Thinking about like, I've put myself into some, you know, I have some family that's a little toxic relationship and I, but I keep putting myself in the situations. I kept trying to make this relationship work and I kept giving myself and giving myself and giving myself. And like every time I was burned, every single time. And finally I'm to the point where I can say, okay, why did I keep doing that? There was an out. My out was always that I never had to do those things. I never, ever had to say yes. I could say no, which I think a lot of us struggle with saying no. Uh, But yeah, like this, for me, this really resonated because it was like, ah, metaphorical door. It's not locked. You may open the door and exit. How many people stay in jobs they hate? Yes. Right. Oh my gosh. That's one thing that I told myself I would never do because it's just the life is too meaningful for me to get up and do something that makes me sad every day. So this, that was a box that I could just never put myself in, but there are so many people who are miserable, but they just stay Mm -hmm. open the door and leave. Like granted, it's not that easy. I mean, you know, most people have to find other, other employment, but none of these things are impossible. We just choose not to do them because it's easier to just be what we are. Right. Totally. The door's not locked. Moral of that story. You may open the door and leave. Anytime. Anytime. That sounds terrible. Like I'm trying to kick somebody out. I'm not saying that. (laughs) (laughs) So moving on to the next chapter, this one was interesting to me because maybe I didn't um, think about this the way other people thought about it, but I felt like this one was one of the harder ones for me to relate to. I would agree, sort of. So anyways, Glennon gets a... She starts off by talking about a snow globe that she's um, given as a child that has this dragon in it that's, you know, bright eyes and wings. And it unnerves her a little, so she keeps it on this high shelf and really only takes it out during the daytime. And then she kind of switches gears and talks about a friend of hers who she has had a decade of alcohol and drug abuse, but she's currently clean and sober. It was basically brought on because she kind of denied to herself what mattered. And she married a man because she was more worried about what would happen if she didn't walk down that aisle than um, actually acknowledging how awful it would be to be married to this person for whatever reason. So this person 
you know, rather than deal with the issue, she drank and she did drugs and kind of created that storm instead. So Glennon then brings it back to the snow globe and talks about how we are kind of like snow globes at times because we um, we don't take time to address what's really going on. And instead, there's a storm swirling around us. And stop me if anybody has a different take, but that's kind of how I read it. The snow globes swirl around and there's just this dragon there in the, like in the middle of it, but she ties it into her secret that she hasn't really told anyone, which is the fact that she's gay and she wants to be with, with women, but she's been doing all these other things in her life to avoid that. Like she was bulimic. She was married to a man, but the marriage was never, was she thought good and then not good. And, you know, do I leave it or not? So she like, rather than address that dragon in the middle, people just keep swirling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to say that, but I also think the snow was like the, it was to create an image that was distracting Mm -hmm. from what was within. So that snow didn't allow it didn't allow anyone to actually see what was inside or what was going on. It was just that pretty, like, outside everything's perfect and sparkly and white and clean. And so it was, part. I think, partly that, too. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was definitely, like, a, <clears throat> a distraction from, like, I, for me, it was, like, a distraction from the bigger problem. Or, like, what is it that you're not addressing? And to me, this, like, it resonated a little bit. But I feel like at some point, the dragon always rears its head. No matter what, you can try to put it off. But eventually, like, it's you're going to have to deal with the dragon. Yes. Yes. And so this has me on a train of thought right now. So I got out of a very bad relationship and it makes me the period after that comes to mind because I definitely was not addressing like what my actual problem was and the hardness of being alone and being a single mom so I had a couple years of just I was doing anything else except like addressing my own problem I was working too much I definitely had more wine than I should have plenty of times and it wasn't until I actually took the time to look at what my life was and what I wanted that it changed. And then luckily it did because then I met Keenan and <laughs> life is much better. But a lot of times, yeah, we don't want to look at what our actual problem is or what's making us unhappy because it's just easier to cover it up with something else. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't really look at it that way. But I did think it was interesting uh, how she ended it when she said, I told myself maybe in a different life. Yes. Yeah, like I this like that ending. I was very fixated on why there was a snow globe with a dragon in it. Had a lot yeah. of questions. Like, I don't think I've ever, I mean, I've seen a snow globe with like a city skyline in it. I've seen a dolphin. I've seen, but I'm just like, where do you, a dragon? I get it. Are but you like, don't live in the snow. I know. I don't know. I did get kind of fixated on that for no Well, reason. I know what I'm searching for on eBay later. <laughs> Christmas gift. <laughs> so let's finish. Uh, let's finish this sucker up because we've just got arms, right? Is that what's left? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and our, you guys are going to have to kind of help me because arms was very a lot of unpacking because Long, yeah. it was. Um, Glennon was getting ready to attend a book conference where she was going to kind of speak about her next. Uh, uh, publication her second memoir and so she at first had had extreme anxiety actually for a while about even being on the flight to go could she get out 
of it. And, you know, I think uh, her sister's has something to do with her, like, appointments, bookings, what she does. She Didn't she call her sister in the chapter? Okay. Yeah, she must help her with her scheduling. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so yeah. she's just like, nope, you're on the plane, you gotta go. And so, like, Glennon's, I think her attitude and her mindset is just like, I don't want to do this. I, I already know that this memoir that I published isn't actually how I feel or think anymore. And, but I kind of have to go with it. And so she, she does, and she kind of begrudgingly goes to this dinner that has other uh, authors that are going to be there and talk. And I mean, there's just a bunch of her feeling anxious and not wanting to interact um, until she sees Abby. So this is where Abby gets introduced and she just immediately describes, you know, this Abby walks in the room and she like puts out her arms for a hug. And she's like, why am I doing this? I don't even know this person. And so that was her first kind of, interaction i also loved how awkward it was because i feel like i was always really awkward in situations where like i liked someone so i was like okay cool other people do weird stuff (laughs) 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 and and but at least they're famous for it and so then uh it goes on to to, in the chapter discuss uh how they kind of hit it off and they have so many things in common and again just this overwhelming feeling of like this this person i this i need to be the with this person and and i think uh, towards the end i think glennon's is it her producer not producer but her agent kind of is like what happened there like i saw all of it mm-hmm. and felt it and i don't know was probably a really bad way to describe it but there was just a lot going on i feel like this one was like a tangent from everything else in part 1 it was like yeah. the telling of the her love story yeah right and just how immediate it was for her i mean like agree that it is kind of a tangent but on the other hand it's not because all of these first parts of the book they're all really short like quick stories about all of the times that she was put into this cage but then when we wrapped up part one she's talking about what made her get out of the cage Mm -hmm. so while i agree that it does feel like a tangent because it's very different from everything you've read up until this point it kind of sets up part two perfectly Mm -hmm. because part two is how do we get out of the cage and i think that obviously abby was the catalyst abby is what pushed Glennon to make all of these changes in her life. So I thought it was the perfect ending to part one. Yeah. Well done, Kayla Jo. I just did for you guys what you did for me with those snow globes. So (laughs) teamwork effort there on that one. And there we see the power of a book club starting to understand things that we really didn't understand when we read them solo. So I didn't, I really took that at face value, that last part. I was like, all right, this is the love story. Great. Like I did not know a full circle until now. Thank you. Yes. You're so welcome. Teamwork makes the dream work it do. so we did it right that is the first that is what we have up until this point we done did it and we all said blowjob at the same time oh my god <laughs> <laughs> sorry mom sorry dad <laughs> So I'm not sorry, mom and dad. That was episode one of Books That Make Us Better. My name is Kayla Joe. You can join us next week, same time, same place, where we will dive into part two of Glennon Doyle's Untamed. We will talk next week, and don't forget, go be a goddamn cheetah. <laughs>